Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome. Uh, I guess I'm in a good mood today. Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, Kurt Mortensen Today, Podcast 467. As we take a deep dive in persuasion, motivation, influence, those soft skills, the leadership, the charisma that we should have learned in school. I've said it before. Let's dive into it. Let's get there. Hope everyone's doing well and having a great week. My audio might sound a little bit different today because I am remote. I'm spending the week on the road on the West Coast doing some seminars teaching some of those skills I wish I would have learned in school. I'm currently in San Francisco right now, and well, it's always cold in San Francisco. You think you're going to California, it's going to be warm. Not always. It seems like it's a little safer. I don't know. Maybe I'll give you a full report on that one and how the city's coping with that. But I'm doing everything from persuasive presentations to influencing up or leading the leader, teaching charisma, personality selling. That's a fun one. How do you persuade people based on their personality? My final one's going to be the 12 Laws of Persuasion that's based on the book Maximum Influence. So, hey, reach out to me at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Any questions, comments, rude remarks, things you want to hear on the show, happy to talk about those. Little horse, but doing okay. Just finished an eight-hour presentation. I want to make sure we get the podcast out that you're learning the skills that you're telling your family, friends, and enemies and making a difference in the world. A couple things that have come up this week is that slow is fast. See, a lot of times in persuasion or sales, we want to be one and done, but sometimes it's a process, a little bit here, an email, a meeting, a little chunk here, a road of doubt here. So it actually, it's a process. That's a big one. The other one is... One-on-one, persuade them how they want to be persuaded. In a group, we shoot down the middle. If you want to know more about group presentations, check out MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's also the home of your free Persuasion IQ assessment. Check that out. Let me know. The archives are there, too. So let's dive into it and talk about the blunder. Don't, don't, don't. That happened to me this week. So I was in Fontana. That's in Southern California. That's near Ontario, near the Ontario airport. Something happened with the reservation. You know, they were supposed to take care of it, and nothing. Nothing there. I called them up. They don't know. I'm like, all right, well, I got to find a place to stay. So I went to this hotel. I've seen it before. It was close to where I was speaking. There was a small line, not too bad. As you know, I'm not a line person, but I was there, and I was just noticing that the person behind the counter was surrounded, like, for bulletproof glass. These little holes where they could take look at your ID. All the credit card machines were outside. They're not allowed to touch your credit cards. I'm like, what? It's kind of like those convenience stores you see in the bad areas where bulletproof glass. There's these little teeny holes. They push out the drawer, bring in the drawer. I felt that way. Someone finally asked, why do you have this bulletproof glass? Well, it's not that. It's for the COVID. And we're protecting you. And she's like, is this a bad area? Do I need to be concerned? Can I go walking? And... Just the look on their face. And anyway, it was enough to where I'm like, "Ah, I'm going to find another hotel. Meaning surroundings. Those are subconscious triggers that can make a big difference. 
not responding to the question with confidence because it actually looked like the person was scared. And I don't think it was really that bad of an area. I mean, it's a place I'd probably walk at night, but combination of the line, the surroundings, the facial expressions from the hotel clerk attendant, whatever you want to call them, that is the blunder. We have to be more careful on how that is. Because when you check into a hotel, we've talked about this before, is everything going right or is everything going wrong? Now, the current hotel I'm in, I mean, this is a top-of-the-line hotel. It's really nice downtown San Francisco, but line to check in. There was a bad smell in the room. The TV didn't work. I mean, I could go on and on. Remember that. If the first two, three, four, five things go wrong, then everything's wrong. We look for that. But if the first couple things go right, then everything else is right. Just like that study we talked about a while back where they put red dots on people's forehead and they were going to a job interview with an HR professional. They're all self-conscious about this red dot on their forehead and they came out afterwards all upset. All they did was look at my dot. They looked at my dot. They didn't look at me. They looked at my dot. Uh, no dot. <laughs> they were kidding. Wasn't really there. But we tend to find what we are looking for. So that is your blunder of the week. Which brings us to our geeky Scarly article. From Virginia University, Harvard University, and The Guardian. If you hear noises in the background, I am downtown, downtown San Francisco. You'll probably hear sirens and everything else. For some reason, that comes right through the walls. Here's an interesting one that people, rather than sitting in silence, would rather shock themselves. Like, what? Yeah, this is interesting. So again, joint ventures with psychologists from Virginia and Harvard University. And Jessica Andrews from University of Colorado. Let's dive into this. This is really fascinating. Basically, all you had to do was sit in a chair and do nothing but think. Be alone with your thoughts. I mean, these were painful. They were mild electric shocks. But it's interesting that people would rather shock themselves than sit in silence. Two-thirds of the men pressed the button to get this shock. All they had to do was sit there and be alone with their thoughts for 15 minutes. and They'd rather press the button than sit there in silence. Now, since that's what, 66% of the men, 25% of the women pressed the shock button. So there's a little difference there. The scientists did say that men tend to be more sensational-seeking than women. We are wired differently. Our brains are wired differently. We tend to do more dumb things, I think, as men take more risks. That's just kind of how we're wired. But why is it so hard for people to be alone with their thoughts? I think it's a great thing. Napoleon Hill, author of Think and Grow Rich, that was his big thing. A room, silence, be alone with your thoughts, turn the lights off. That's where a lot of his big breakthroughs came from. And I actually enjoy that too, you know, taking a walk and being alone with your thoughts. But, you know, I guess you're walking or outside. It might be a little different, but there is something powerful to that for solutions, for intuition. But people didn't like it. And they did 11 different studies on this, and people just hated it. It didn't matter about their age, education, income. <laughs> didn't matter how much they used social media, their smartphones, watch TV. Most of the people had a challenge with it. Now, Dr. Timothy Wilson did say he didn't think it was a reflection of our modern life and social media and Internet. You know, I tend to disagree just being alone when you're there, you pull out your phone, you're always engaged, something's happening, something to do. I think there has to be some type of correlation there. They didn't agree, but uh, that's what I'm thinking. So when they first started the experiments, 
The students were brought alone into this room. No phones, no books, nothing to write on. And they were told, just think, be alone with your thoughts. The only rule was they had to stay seated and not fall asleep. And this was around 15 minutes. Most people did not enjoy the experience. This is 15 minutes. They struggled to concentrate. Their minds wandered. They were distracted. They even told them what to think about, and that didn't even help. Now, the researchers were kind of like, what's going on here? So then they tried it in people's homes, and that was worse. And they got the same results. But they also found that people were even more miserable, and more people cheated getting up and checking their phones. So that didn't work. That's where they added the electric shock. They wanted to see if people prefer something to do. Even though it was negative, at least it was something with this mild electric shock. They didn't say what the voltage was, but I guess you could feel it. There was something there. And I don't think anybody would define it as fun. So remember, 66% of the men and 25% of the women gave them this shock. So this Dr. Andrews Hanna said that students, looking at college students, probably would rather zap themselves than go through a tedious, boring, lame lecture. And that might be true. And that goes back to our attention spans are all-time low. It's difficult for people to be alone with their thoughts. They want to be engaged and not bored. Remember, there's no such thing as a boring topic, only boring presenters. That's the whole edutainment thing. Things have changed. We want to be engaged. We get bored fast. Then they go on to say that maybe it's curiosity that killed the cat. Maybe that's more it for me. I mean, if they paid me to be alone with my thoughts, I could do that. Not a challenge. I don't have to shock myself. But I'm just sitting there and wondering what it felt like and just curious. I might see myself cross that line and giving myself a shock just to see what it's feel like. Why is that button even there? But if I knew the rules, you can't shock yourself. I could sit there for 15 minutes and be alone with my thoughts. So here's the concept. Humans need to be entertained, engaged. It's hard for them to be bored, alone with their thoughts. Things have changed. And so that's important to understand with your prospect. You have to be more engaging. You can't let them get bored. Careful of letting them wait. No more bulletproof glass, <laughs> as we talked about earlier. That is definitely a key to success. So that is our geeky scholarly article. Let's do something unique and jump into a live training to power negotiators. Talk about some of the key things they are missing out they're not doing during a basic negotiation when they're not getting the terms they want. Let me give you some fundamentals of negotiation and then I want to make sure we have time for the exercise. So we'll do that first then we'll kind of come back. Let me ask what is the difference between negotiation and persuasion? If we can remember way back yesterday morning, what is the difference between persuasion and negotiation? Exactly. So persuasion, you bring someone to your point of view, negotiations give take. The rule is persuade first, negotiate second. So this might happen, you get a negotiation. A couple fundamental things though what we need to think about is that first of all, win-win, you've heard that term before, does not mean equal splits. It's very important to understand. You might get 10% of the pie, but people think, well, that's 50-50. No. Win-win could be 10%. It could be 15%. That's the first one. Second one is that bargaining is not negotiating. <laughs> we save that for Mexico, the Caribbean, to where they go high, you go low. That's just bargaining. There are very few skills there. You're never going to see that person again. And the biggest one with negotiation where people tend to blow it, and this is based on kind of your personality, is... Some people are like, I don't want to play that game. You go high, we do this, we do that. If you don't play the game, you're going to lose the game. <laughs> Does that make sense? It doesn't matter if you like to play the game or not, you have to play the game. Because if you don't and they're ready to, you're not going to get good terms. 
let's say you're buying a house, right? It's 500,000, you walk through and it's perfect. And you, you know, how much? 500, like, that's fair, I'll take it. You're gonna get a call an hour later, they're backing out. Psychologically, what happened? That was too easy. <laughs> Even though it was fair, wait a minute, wait a minute, that was too easy, it shouldn't have been that easy, which sometimes it can be. That's the challenge that a lot of people have. You're gonna to have to be able to start that. So let's talk about a few points here. First one is, in negotiation, there's position versus the problem. Too many times we take their position at face value when it's really not their position. You have to find the real issue, the real problem. You gotta peel the onion back to find out what the real issue is. Famous negotiation story, here it is. Two 12-year-old girls, they're twins, they're fighting over the very last orange. Mom hears it, comes down, what does mom do? Or dad? Cut it in half. But then one girl peeled the orange, threw the peel away, ate the orange, the other girl peeled it, threw the orange away, and used the peel for a cooking project. So the physician was wanting the orange. The issue, one needed one of the orange, one wanted the peel. In fact, I was coaching with somebody in Las Vegas, there was this raw piece of land. They wanted it was worth, I don't want to say it's worth 500,000. It wasn't worth that at all. It was worth like 450. But everyone's like, I'll give you 420, 430. And I said, guy's off 500, 500. I asked the right question. So the position was 500. But as he talked to me, he found out that he was 60, going to retire in five years, and there was no rush. But it needed the 500 for the final piece of the nest estate. Is that important to understand? They gave him 100,000 down with a balloon payment in five years for the rest, which is a win-win. So too many times we focus on this without really digging deep. What's the real issue here? What's really happening? It's usually an emotional issue can be the issue with that one. Other thing with negotiation is it's okay to be comfortable with the silence. They train negotiators to be silent. In fact, the rule of negotiation, the first one talks loses. Have you heard that before? And so be ready for that. Be comfortable with the silence. Be comfortable with the fact that negotiators are trained to get three or four no's before they can say yes. Have you noticed that? So and they're always trained to say, well, is that the best you can do? And you have to be ready to say what? Yes, it is. So it's okay to get a couple of no's out of the way. And be careful here, too, with this, that you don't start self-negotiating. You know what that is? It was already a win-win, and you keep giving things away. I was actually watching this negotiation. I knew the CEO really well. It was an employee leasing company, the, which you lease employees from another company. CEO is ready to roll, done deal. But there was some final dot the I's, cross the T, here comes the rep, comes in, and says, all right, we well, do this and this, and it was like 5% of payroll, something like that. And the CEO sat there silent, had a little RBF too, just sat there, and the person, okay, four and a half, we do this and this, four and a half. Silence, RBF, four, <laughs> they were happy with five, so be careful of the silence and the self-negotiation, that could definitely be a challenge. Let's talk about pricing. D-I-T-F, let's talk about that one a little bit here, pricing. So that stands for door in the face. You need to have a number that's really high or really low that's not in the insult zone because that gives you room to negotiate. In negotiation, have you ever heard never make the first offer? That's wrong. Studies are very clear. Now, if you have no idea what things are worth, you don't want to go, but if you're the subject matter expert, the person that goes first, it increases trust, but you decide the starting point of the negotiation, it's called an anchor, and you get better terms. So it's okay to go first. So what door in the face is, let me just share a study with you. It's a blood drive. Hey, will you donate blood today? 
It was around 30% said yes. They doubled it using door in the face. You know what they did? Hey, will you donate blood every two minutes for the next three years? <laughs> no. Will you at least donate today? Hey, can I get two hours of your time? No. Can I get 10 minutes? Hey, if they give you two hours, take it. <laughs> but you get at least a 10 minutes. Here's another one. Hey, will you do a two-minute survey? 25% said yes. Will you do a two-hour survey? <laughs> no. Two minutes? Doubled to 50%. So don't be afraid to go high, but make sure you go as high as low as you can, but let them know where it came from. Now, first of all, odd numbers are more persuasive than even numbers. If you're asking for a raise, if you're asking for anything, don't ask for 10,000, ask for $9,970. Seven is actually the mo one of the more persuasive numbers. It used to be nine at the end, now it's seven. We don't wanna be ridiculous, $7.77, but so make it an odd number. Let them know where you came from. Well, based on our formula, our internal standard, based on the law, try to let them know that you didn't invent the number, that it's real, and that's a big part of the door in the face. Don't be afraid to go high. Where else do we see door in the face happen? Retail price of a car? <laughs> that's door in the face. Where else do we see it? If a dress is on sale, they don't cover up the previous prices. That's the same thing. That's where they, they show you what the value is. We see this everywhere. It's just, and especially as you influence up, you need to get a couple of no's out of the way, go big. And if they say yes, great. If they're gonna give you two hours, great, take it. But it doubles your influence techniques. Now, kind of the opposite of that too is concessions. When we talking about reciprocal concessions, same thing too. So if you're standstill, if you offer a concession, they offer a concession, but make them work for it. If they ask for one, you ask for one. Make them work for it. Make them work for the concessions. And as you look at your pricing here, don't go from 10,000 to 2,000. Make them work for it. Slowly go down, slowly go down. So usually you do 10,000 to 9,000, 9,000 to 8,500, right? Just a little bit more at a time. And if you're at that moment where you can't go any far, you just say, hey, you know, that's the best I could do. I can give you my pencil. You want my kid? <laughs> You want my shoes? Let them know that you're kind of at the end of your rope. And that's what I would do before any negotiation is you need to create your win. Is basically you have a range of what you want, what you intend to get, and what you need. So basically best and worst case of so where you're starting and where you're walking. You have to have to have that before the emotions hit. Otherwise, you're going to leave with something. So this is your best case scenario. Really, this is probably where we're going to be. This is the end of the rope. This is where I'm walking. And is it okay to walk into negotiation? Yes, that's a great tool. If it's not ready to roll, if it, you need to walk, that's okay. That's okay to walk or reschedule or I need to get some more information to be able to do that. And this doesn't even have to be necessarily money. I'm living in New York City and I want my company to pay for transportation. Well, that's fair, right? I've been here a long time. I want a helicopter. Right? In New York, if you take the elevator down to work, you've made it. So I'm on a helicopter. I'm going big. All right, no. <laughs> so attend a car service. I mean, that's really probably the fairest thing. Worst case scenario, at least pay for my Ubers or my taxis or something like that or my transportation pass. So you have kind of that range. And then you know when to walk and when not to walk. So these are some of the big things to think about ahead of time as you prepare to negotiate. It makes a big, big difference as far as the blunders and what to do and not to do. And it is a game. And we need 
treat it like a game. It can be fun, right? It's like a poker game. You're like, all right, we're going to play this hand. You're going to do this. We're going to go back and forth. And so mindset is a big one there. So there you have it. There's our podcast of the week. Please keep me posted. Go to the website, Maximize Your Influence. Hit contact us. Check out the freebies from your IQ assessment to your free webinar and the persuasive presentation with that formula. Check out our weekly specials. Tell your family, friends, and enemies all right there at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Of course, let me know what you want to hear about, what you want to talk about, whether it's something that you're running into or that's in the news. Take care. Hopefully you're seeing the difference between persuasion and negotiation. And there's some huge blunders people make when they don't differentiate between persuading and negotiating because the tools are very different. Maximize these tools, become more influential, become a power negotiator, and go out and persuade with power.